Okay, so what I want to start um, is by reviewing some of the text that we did last week and some of the outline to make sure that's in our heads. Um, but I'll probably ask some new questions or ask some of last week's questions differently. So it's a good time to challenge me to ask the thoughts you had from last week. And uh, so then once we get through the, um, the review sections, we have the structure in our heads. I want to do one issue in detail with acronym. Uh, right, so we have so far we've just done our own analysis of text. So we'll do that one detail um, with acronym. We'll raise questions about what the what the issue the acronym are dealing with is, or on the other hand, whether their question is a really good question. Um, and then we'll try to prep this at the very beginning. But after we finish that, I want to try and show you a way. You get the idea that I, that I think structurally about Gemara a lot. Uh, there are other ways of thinking about it, uh, but I'm trying trying to to start off with a very structural mode where you get the, the whole sense of the argument. So I'll try and model a little bit of what sorts of questions automatically come, uh, automatically come to mind when you think that way, in a way which it becomes a powerful analytic tool. And then we'll try to start showing how, by using that method, you'll actually anticipate a lot of what the Rishonim say. And not only that, um, you'll see things that you might not have otherwise seen the Rishonim saying. If you have, a, right, you have that set of questions in your mind, you'll say, oh, look, that's, right, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing, and, 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 right, and it's a way of doing that. We'll talk in the course of the year about the, the risks of that kind of reading, which is that, um, A, if you have a structure in your mind, so then you tend to read everybody as if they're thinking inside your structure, and maybe they're not. Right? Maybe, right, maybe you get them wrong that way. You learn a pretty good mode of analysis, which I learned uh, from a teacher of Rosenzweig, which enables you to take Rishonim as like you can read individual lines and, and put great meaning into individual lines. But the result but the result is you might never see them in context and you might misunderstand them because you're only looking at a line. Right? So the, but first I want to show how to do it. And then after you show how to do it, then we'll try then we'll try to uh, right, the same way as I said we'll show they will try and show how the acronym are doing it and then we'll try and show ways of testing what they're doing and thinking about right which of those ways you find most compelling or not. Okay, so we started with um, for our purposes this week one line of Mishnah, which is, "Asocheret umnin We pointed out what we might have thought that line meant, but for our purposes this week, it's clear what the Gemara thinks it means, in a certain sense. The Gemara thinks that "hitu" means "hitu" uh, does not mean "chazru." Okay, so we're not talking about a case where we know what the terms of the contract are. Both sides agreed to the terms of the contract, and then one side tries to go back on them. That's not what the mission is talking about, according to the Gemara as we have it. It's talking about a case of hitu. So now, what does hitu mean? So hitu has at least two possible meanings for our purposes. One is that hitu means that the contract is still in force, but somebody is violating its terms in a way other than reneging on it. And we don't know what that is, right? How can a contract be in force and yet somebody violate its terms? Right, so we, we talked about mishaneh, Right, it might mean that they're changing implicit terms as opposed to explicit terms. Right, that might be right. So there, are, there are ways in which, and the the more radical way of thinking about it is that when it's a case of taut, so taut is a way of testing whether or not there was a kinyan. So mitzvah zed means that the contract is no longer in force. And in that case, the issue is how do you determine fair compensation for labor when the labor was done without a contract? And to what extent, and is that always an abstract question? All that matters, right? Because we, we can tell it very abstractly and say, value, set the value of the work, and whatever it is, that's what you get paid. And right, since there's no contract, prior circumstances are irrelevant. 
Or we could try and say there's a complicated notion in which the prior circumstances are relevant, but not controlled, right? But not in the, not in the terms of a contract. Okay, so that's right. That's our first issue is what does Hitu mean? Does Hitu mean that we're somehow dealing within the framework of a contract? Or does Hitu mean that we have abandoned contract entirely? And what are the implications of both of those positions? Okay, so now looking at um, page, we'll start really from um, page three. All right, so I gave you an outline. Um, what I said was on top is that the Gemara begins by establishing its first okimta on the Mishnah. It uh, says that you need to have five conditions, right? Five, five, five conditions set up on, right, on the word hitu. And we have those five conditions, one definition in four, right, in four, in four conditions. And then, right, after you have those conditions, then we can establish the ground for its outcome called taromit, right? Which means we're, we're looking for the middle case where something, there's a grounds for complaint, but not grounds for legal action. Okay, so the Gemara's first thing is, right, A is, okay, that the, the case has to be erased. Actually, five, it is five conditions, sorry, right? So there's, um, it's not chazru, but ta'u. Then we say, so what does ta'u mean? It means means that there is no, no relationship of ta'ut between the employer and the employee directly. Right, the relationship of ta'ut occurs between employees. Okay, that's condition one. Condition two, bet is that actually the nature of the nature of the of the workers um, who are to, right, who who create the taut is not a relationship among equals. It's an agent of the owner, and right, and the employees. So bet is the marley balhabayat that the the employer says to an agent, zil ogerli poalim, go hire me workers. And the middleman goes and right, goes and, and causes the to the workers. So the ta'ut relationship is between the middleman and the employees. Right? The the owner is not in any way responsible for the ta'ut. Okay, condition number three. So then the third condition is that it has to be that the middleman over promises. He promises more than the employer. Uh, right, then the employer had, uh, had authorized him to pay. Right, the reverse at this right, as we saw, is if it's the reverse, if he underpromises, so then at this point, the Gemara says, well, if he underpromises, but now there's a, there's, right, there's a meeting of minds. They agreed, right, so that's fine. So the Gemara assumes at this stage it has to be that the, wor that the agent promises more than the owner stated his willingness to pay. Okay, so now there can't, uh, right, and the, the workers agree to the overpromise. And so now there is a clash between what the employer agreed to pay and what the employees agreed to work for. Right, so now there can't have been a contract between the employer and the workers because this is a disagreement about number. Okay, so now the ta'ut is generated, I think, a non-contract situation. At least, something where it says one other thing. Ah, no, it has to, the question is, 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 the, agent, is, the, is the agent actually claiming to function as an agent of the owner, or is he ta taking personal responsibility for the salary? Because if he's taking personal responsibility, then you can have a contractual relationship between the middleman and the employee. The answer is no. It has to be a case where the middleman says explicitly, I am only a pass-through for, right, for the employer. Okay, so the middleman, the middleman takes no responsibility because he says, I'm not paying. The employer takes no responsibility because he never agreed to this. And right, so now, right, so really the whole impact of the Gemara's first, quest, uh, first case 
is to get rid of the contract. Right? There's, no, right, there's nobody who can be said to have agreed to anything because the, the employer said three, the agent said I don't take responsibility, so there's no one, right, there's, no, there's no meeting of minds of responsible parties in, Amer right, in American terms. Okay, condition number five is the Ika de above, Ika de The fifth condition is there has to, it has to be that there is no set price, absolute price for the work. Because the presumption would be that if, right, when, ordinarily when there's no contract and you do work, so you get compensated for the value of the work you did. Right, and that should, right, that, that, should be, that should be the simple outcome. So we have to introduce a case where there is no, where the value of the work you did is ambiguous. Some people, right, some people get paid $3, some people get $4. And so now the question is, what do you claim? Okay, now here you can understand why we might introduce the notion of Yado al Tachtono, Yado, right? Right, who do we, right, who do we give it to? Right, there's an ambiguous situation, there's work that could be worth this, could be worth that. Right, neither part, there's no contract. So how do you determine the value of the work? For now, we're assuming that there is no middle ground. You either determine it at what the at what the owner agreed to pay, or what the or what the the employees agreed to work for. Couldn't you? Yeah. I mean, well, I guess it was more than that. But let's say the job was to turn a pile of wood into a chair. Yeah. So couldn't you say that the market value between the value of the chair and the value of the wood is the value of the wood? Yeah, if the value of the chair is fixed. And the value of the wood is fixed, right? So, right, right. That's certainly right. There are other ways in which we could try to fix it, right? Uh, right. We, you know, it's a very nice Marxist analysis, right? Of what the, right, of what the value, what the value of labor is. Value is the labor of the, of the final product minus the, uh, right? Doesn't leave room for the capitalist, right? Uh, but okay, right. That's a whole separate economics conversation. Um, but let's assume, right? The, okay. So let's let's let's. I'll start by introducing the idea that I'm going to push a lot as we go through this. The Gemara here is not doing psak. Right? It's constructing an abstraction. So we shouldn't get too hung up on right, right, this case, some people four, some people three. You can say that stands for all cases in which the value of the work cannot be objectively determined. And it doesn't matter at what stage that is. If you think the value of the work is determined by final product minus, right, minus raw, raw materials, so let's say the raw materials right, are, are, right, are, you know, are ambiguous pricing. Aside from the question of whether you, you, you value them by the price that was paid for it or by the price that they would fetch currently, right? It's, it's just a case where workers did non-contractual work and there's no, absolute way to, there's no absolute way to determine what they should have been paid in an ideal marketplace. So what the, right, so Gemara says, okay, so what's the result in that outcome? So, okay, so, right, so Gemara says they get paid, presumably, they get paid the lower price, presumably, for now we're going to say that they get paid the lower price. What would be the principle that lets them that lets them that lets them get paid that says we get we pay them the lower price? Exactly right. Thank you. Perfect. Right, because they can't prove they're owed four. Or you look at it and say, look, right, we play out the game in which they right we play out the game in which they right they they engage in contract negotiations, and sometimes they'll get three, and sometimes they'll get four. So they say we want four. He says, what do you mean? Right, if you had negotiated with me, you would have gotten three. Okay, so, so, right, so there's a reasonable outcome which says this is, a, this is the rules, the operative rule here, even though it's not mentioned anywhere in the Mishnah, is Amosi Mechavera Lovaraya. And now the only question is, so what's their taromit? So Gemara says their taromit is, They say, look, we understand 
that we can't get more than three because you can't claim you would never have given more than three and we can't defeat that. But we can claim that if we hadn't worked for you and if you, right, if, if you had said three, we would have gone somewhere else and, we, and the next guy would have given us four. So we have a claim that's not enforceable but is factually plausible. So that's grounds for taromit, the Gemara says, right? I called it opportunity costs. Right? It's not a guaranteed opportunity cost because presumably there are employers out there who will pay four and some will pay three. You don't know if those workers are going to be the ones who get the four. They might end up unemployed if they insist on four. Right? But they had a, but they had, they had a chance. Right? It's, right? it's an opportunity. It's, a, it's, really a, it's really a risk cost. They had a chance to take a certain risk and they're deprived of the opportunity to take that risk. And that's grounds for taromit but not legally remediable. Yes, sorry. That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question, right? It says, right, if you look at the language of the Mishnah, it's Ein Lehem Zeh El Zeh El Atar Omit. Right. Well, the other question that is, the language of the Mishnah is, Biti Zeh right, which implies that there's some mutual trickery going on, and the case that the Gemara is constructing is one which the trickery is only one direction. Absolutely. Right? That's, right, that there is no, um, right, there is no, um, there's no way to avoid the, right, that we said, like the simplest reading of the Gemara is that it's a mutual trickery, there's no, or at the very least it's a reversible trickery, and that doesn't show up at all in, in, this, in, this, in this thing of the Gemara, so the big issue we'll have to think about behind again is to what extent is the Gemara t- trying to tell us about in the Mishnah? But right now, the Gemara, right, we're only interested in the mission of the way the Gemara reads it. And the way the Gemara reads it, no, it's a one-way thing. And the simplest way of reading it is, since it, if, you're, if you're trying to read the Mishnah closely, is he taromid, the Zez are all the same. And so Taromid is between the workers and the agent, because they have no Taromid against the owner, the owner didn't do anything. Well, I mean, it follows what the complaint is, Right. Absolutely right. Right. At this point, taromit is among the workers. There's no right. There's no hint of any moral responsibility for the employer to pay more than he committed to. And why should there be? Okay. Um, okay. Then the Gemara gives three other answers. Um, and so the the structural thing that I want to um, that I want to uh, actually one, the one thing I wanted to point out again in terms of the Gemara's Modeling, realize there's there's a middle case, right? Which is right in, on some of these conditions, which is he says balabayas, that's one case. He says that's another case. What if he doesn't say? Right, but that introduces issues that are beyond the scope of this gemara, so it's not interested in them. Right, if we were poskening, we'd have to say, right, right. What happens if he didn't say one way or the other? What's the norm? Right, what if sometimes it's this, what if sometimes right? We, there are all sorts of complexities we could do, but we're doing. I also introduced the word now. We're doing a, right, a, a sort of economic modeling. Right? And it's important to understand sometimes we're really into the nitty-gritty. We're trying to figure out what's the halacha in this case. And sometimes we're trying to set up principles. Right? We're, trying to, right? and we're, we're trying to figure out is, right, is when is there a taromit. And as long as we get to a case that we can complicate case that 500, 500 ways from, from Sunday doesn't change the fact that we figured out the principle. Right? The principle is that there's a taromit when there's a, what I'm calling a risk cost. Okay? Now then we can ask the question, what if there's it's not a risk cost, but an opportunity cost. Like, what happens if we know they could have gotten the work for four? 
right? Right over right there, right? But they, they had another offer from somebody, right? Right? They were choosing they were choosing between offers of four, right? So we could that'll complicate it also because we don't know, right, exactly whether at some some point it may become actionable or not. Right? What happens if it's not 50-50, but 90-10 one way or the other? Right? Does that change it or not? Right? Those are all things that would have to happen to translate the Gemara into Psak. And I think it's important to get that there's a long way between a sugya and, and this, between a sugya and psak. And one of the things that we can watch is, you know, that you can have a sugya that looks like it's going one way, but then you just change one factor in reality, and right, and all of a sudden the halacha can go entirely the other way. And there's no lack of integrity in that. Right? But that's part of the if you're looking at halacha diachronically, right? So that you have to look at like what new factor gets introduced 200 years later that the gemara does, the gemara left it out of its model, but might change everything. That's a very interesting question, right? So, what, right? So, so we'll have to tell you what the difference is between taroma and let's say edeshamayim. What happens, right? So, one of the nakamis often is what happens if you seize the property, right? Do you have to get, right? Is it, is it, right? Is, can he enforce returning it? Are you allowed to, are you allowed to write a social media post about what happened, uh, right? And say so and so is right, right? Oh, right, those are right, those are right, all the. Right, we we don't have a technical division of taromit right in terms of all the other categories of non-actionable things. Right, there are categories of non-actionable things which allow you to seize property. Right, there are categories of non-actionable things that allow you to treat right. They allow you to right to not talk to somebody until they ask you for mechila and you give her. Right, that that's that, that's all we know for now. Also, if we're giving a, you know if we're giving Mr. Shmuz you know to in the yeshiva balei uh, right, so do we tell people don't do this? It's wrong. Or do we say, you know, we, you know, good, right, Yiddish a cup. <laughs> right, that is, right, I think those are the other, right, that was going to be very complicated, right, because of the, right, the, the Gemara's neck, uh, the Gemara which says that in some cases you can be Matevin, right, so the ethics are very challenging, but I don't have a clear answer than that. Uh, well, there are lots of trivial about that, right about, right, about what, you know, trying to figure out exactly what the boundaries the Taromid case is, and you know, and those are anytime you're a judge and you know, in a postic functioning that way or a Diane functioning that way, has to deal with what happens if you have a case where it feels like justice is pushing you one way and halacha is pushing you the other way. What are you supposed to do? Right? So those are right, so this is part of it. It's also gonna be part of the calculation, I think, is right, what are the things that you think are wrong and that gives you a rooting interest in figuring out what the law is also. Um, okay. So now, um, what I want to try to start modeling the, the structural issue is, so we have five conditions and leading to a taina. Right, so then the rest of the Gemara, we know that, right, so the next two answers, right, we know that the next two answers are going to, are going to require um, a, um, a, B, and C, right? It has to, right, they're all going to be about agents who overpromise. Right, that's the sub, right, that's the sub But then, the second answer is, their complaint is, you know, if you hadn't um, offered us four, it would have demeaned us to become employees. Okay, that's the, now, so now the question is, right, so the question is, does that, uh, does that require the, it probably requires the claim that he said that your, your, your uh, he said your, 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 um, your salary is on the employer, otherwise he would have to pay himself, right, because he agreed with them. So the first four conditions are true. What about the fifth condition that the worth of their work is, 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 um, is variable? 
Do they only have a taromit if they had a real chance of getting paid more? Or do we say, no, even if no one else got paid that much, they can still say, you know what, we wouldn't have taken a job for less. We only took the job because you promised us more than the market. So it could be that we say, no, you'll, right, you still only have a complaint right, if, you're, right, if there's a chance you could have gotten paid that much. We don't believe you that you wouldn't have worked. Right? We just think that you, have a, right, um, you wouldn't have worked at the market. We just think that you might have said, I'd rather do it. Or it might, or it might be that the, that condition E doesn't apply to case number two. Okay, then the third akin to the Gemara is they claim, right, it's not, it's, not a, it's not risk cost and it's not dignity cost. The third claim of the Gemara is that um, we worked harder than or better than we would have. So what does that require? Right? Does that, what does that require? Does it mean that we're living in a marketplace where some people get paid four and some people get paid three and some people work well and some people don't work well, but it's not a one-to-one -one correspondence. When you hire employees right, and you pay four, you're hoping you get the better ones and you're trying to pick them out, but it's not in the contract that if you get paid four, you do this kind of work, you get paid, right? Which means that some people who do mediocre work get paid four and some people get paid three. And some people who do great work get paid three even though they do great work, right? Employers try their best, right? Which is true in every area of employment, right? You try and get the, right? You know that there's a range of performance among employees. And you know there's a range of salaries. If you pay the higher salary, you're hoping you get the employee who works better. You can't guarantee it, right? They're always overpaid free agents. Right, so right, so right, so is it right? So is it is that also a condition for here? Right, that when they say we worked harder, it has to be that uh, it has to be that the work is variable. Does it have to be a marketplace where everyone knows the difference between three and four? It's just that he didn't right. Just that the contract is weird because the contract just says do this, and everyone figures out what they're supposed to do by the salary. Right, that's a very odd case. Uh, right, where I, you know, I tell you, I tell you, I'll pay you ten dollars an hour, and I know that means that I don't have to vacuum under the beds. But if I pay you fifteen dollars an hour, right, then we expect you to vacuum under the beds. But nobody ever says that in the contract. Okay, right. So, right. So structurally, right, what I'm trying to show is we have five conditions for for the for the okimta, right, and a taina, right. Every case is constructed of five, right. There's right. Every case is constructed of the conditions for the okimta, and then the taina, right, the, the complaint they have. But the gemara doesn't tell you explicitly how many of the conditions of the Okimta apply to the next time. So we're left in, right, in saying, right, so what do the economic salary conditions have to be for there to be a tar on the grounds of, right, we wouldn't have accepted employment. And then the same thing is true, is, right, what happens if they claim we would have worked harder? What are the economic conditions um, necessary? And so those create spaces, right, where now we can, we, at the end of the year, we can look at Rishonim and say, ah, you know what, Rishonim will put in lines which will be intended to disambiguate that. No, you need this condition, or you don't need that condition. Because right? they're thinking the same way. Look, here's the, right, we said that you need these conditions, right, for, in the first case, but it didn't tell us that you need these conditions for the second, we have to figure that ourselves. And if there are reasonable arguments both ways, then you'll find Rishonim on both sides. Uh, usually, you just have to look hard enough, and eventually you'll find some. You'll find somebody, um, right, as long as there's a reasonable possibility, right? You know that's the, the advantage of a tradition that's gone, you know, that's gone on for a thousand years and has lots and lots of really smart people who like being original, is that there's going to be somebody. But then, as opposed to get to figure out, okay, you know, what if I had to spend two and a half weeks and eventually I found a manuscript <laughs> right, in a library somewhere where somebody said I thought maybe <laughs> does that actually count as much as you know as, fi as you know finding it in, in all the Rishonim and you know in Sarat or something like that? Sometimes you'll find it geographically, right? You know, right? 
I'm not good at thinking about it, but sometimes you'll find that everybody, right, so you'll find, you know, the Ramban, Rashba, Ritzvah, right, and that whole school lines up one way, and the Baliatos food and everyone, right, everyone else lines up the other way. And that's a really interesting question, both philologically and historically. Right? Are there reasons that it turns out um, that way? And that, I hope, we'll get the year. We'll start um, introducing a radical thesis at the beginning of the year. Um, right, so one, one reasonable historical thesis is that the, uh, is that Orthodox halacha about labor relations undergoes a sea change in the shift between Orthodox American Jews as blue-collar workers, which is what they are, um, in the right, in the era in, in the Depression and the fifties and sixties, and all of a sudden, Orthodox Jews become fabulously wealthy. And so. The psak of your community, right? Who the who the figures are? Rosh Weiss, right? Makes this joke. He says, Ramosha gets asked questions about minimum wage workers, and I get questions about you know about hedge funds. Right? right how does that how does, how does that affect halacha? Um, right? Does it right? Does it or does it not? Because right? Because halacha is affected by what chuvas are about, right? And so if you have a year in which all you know, have twenty years in which there are no chuvas asked by manual laborers and lots of chuvas asked by hedge fund workers, it's going to change things. Um, Okay. So actually, have a question or just no? no okay. Uh, okay. So that's right. So then, Okimta four, right? Anybody say says, you know what? We're going to reverse the. We're going to reverse, and it's my fault, right? After the dot 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 in like anybody say before where it says B, so really the after the dot 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 it should be C. It should be really me, not C, because what the Gemara there does it rejects Okimta, the part C of the Okimta, right? So part C of the Okimta was it has to be that the agent overpromised. Now the Gemara says, no, the agent can also under-promise. Okay, so this is right, this is our thing, right? So the Gemara originally rejected that case where the, where the employer said four and the agent said three. The Gemara's language was, my taromedika, savar v'kavil. Right, why should they be a taromet? The workers have no grounds for complaint. They, right, they agreed to a contract. Okay, so, right, so... <laughs> If we go back to if we go back to the Gemara on page two, right? So, um, so in the in the in the Gemara, so let's take right the, on, the, on the, the the top of the page. So the fifth line is Right? If the case of the Gemara says is that the owners, the employer said four, and then the the agent said three, he underpromised. Tarubit mayavite. What kind of grounds complaint is there? Sub sub Right. Any time, right? The Gemara's assumption at this point is, any time the employee agreed to a number, you have no grounds for complaint if you agreed to the contract. Okay. So now turning back to page three, right? So, in the last paragraph, right? The last Ibai Sema, So there's a there's a there's a there's a line labeled B. So the Gemara says, right? We're still on the same grounds. Now the Gemara says, so that's exactly what the Gemara said previously doesn't make sense. Right? So now that here the Gemara changes its mind. The Gemara says, you said up there that, that would, there would be no tar omen in that case because Savar Bekavil? No. Right? And, right, the Amrle, there is still a time in that case. The Amrle, less lachal simna tuv mi balav. Don't you have this principle? Okay, right, so it sounds like the Gemara shifted. Right, and I tried last week to set it up as a really radical shift. Right, that there's a, there's, there's a, right, I'll try and set it up in even more radical terms this, um, right, this week. You can say the Gemara says, pre, the Gemara's initial thought is, 
that, so last week I tried, the initial thought is that we just have a free market economy. And the Gemara changed it, right? And that's what justice is, right? Free market. And the Gemara changed his mind and says, no, there are contracts which are, even though they are fully agreed, there's an element about them that is not just. Right? And that's what I put in, in American law. That was the question of whether the Roosevelt administration could enforce things like minimum wage requirements. Or was that a violation of the constitutional principle of freedom of contract? And you, it was framed as a liberty interest, right? That, right? that any restriction on freedom of contract is an, unfor is an unfair imposition on the liberty of the contractors, including the workers. We have that now, right? If, if you're willing to flip hamburgers for $8 an hour, why shouldn't you be able to get a job? Right? And that's how you can compete, because you're not good enough to get a $15 an hour job. There are too many people willing to do the job. Why should we say you can't enter into a contract to flip hamburgers for $8 an hour? Right, so that, right, so that was a, that was a, that was a giant machloket in American constitutional law, which shifts in the, which shifts right. That is the, the switch in time that saves nine, I believe. Right, that where Roosevelt threatens to pack the court, and the and the court shifting that position is what enables the is what enables the the court to stay. Right, some people think that the court to stay the same way, all sorts of things like that. So you can say that's what's at stake. You can frame it differently and say that the the question really is what's the purpose of halacha. Is the purpose of halacha to establish justice actively, or is the purpose of halacha just to prevent in, internal injustice? Right, halacha is not about systemic injustice. Systemic injustice is the role of neviim. Right, but halacha is not about trying to prevent systemic injustice. Right, if there are circumstances where employees will always un get underpaid, right, in some abstract sense, so what? That's not the job of halacha. That's what we give Musar Shmuzes about, and hopefully employers will will do differently. But halacha is just there to regulate. Right, the existing under existing economic conditions, it's not trying to be radical. Right, the says, okay, maybe, you know, but you have to remember, right, to say it's okay, it's not even a taromet. No, at least it's a taromet, right? So those are ways of framing the stakes of the sugi. Yes, so. an actual a question now. So yeah, I think with this last lakimta, yeah, it's unlike the other cases where the employees are expecting a higher wage, and then when they get their lower wages, then they can kind of start asking, well, wait a second, what happened right. here? In this case. I mean, how does it come to pass that they actually realized that they were offered a lower wage than they could have had? That's a fair question. How do they actually get, you know, how do they find out, right? That's a good reality question. Balbais is giving them their paycheck that says four, and they say, wait a second. No, no, Balbais is giving them a paycheck that says three, right? The Balbais is not going to give them their pay, a high paycheck because the agent goes back to him. No. But the Balbais, it's more like the Balbais says to them, you know, and it, right, it interested me that you guys agreed to three because I was willing to pay four. Uh -huh. And then they say, oh, you know, uh, no, Right. Well, so kind of, who do they say it to? They say it to the Balbais or they say it to the agent? Maybe, again, they have no complaint, right? Because if, if we're trying to read shot in the Mishnah, which is, so the answer is, the owner never did anything wrong. But they can say to the agent, why did you negotiate so hard? What is the Good. So what is the Pasuk recorded? According to the Pasuk, Rashi tells you, right? So Rashi has this one comment. He says, it's a Pasuk in Mishlech. It is. It's a pasuk l'mishlei. We don't know what it means. Right? Literally, it means do not deny good to its owners. Well, that begs the question. Right? <laughs> Who are the owners? <laughs> right? So as we don't right. So. And isn't it good to the Baalbais to save money? Right. Right. Why? Right. Why? Right. Why? It's you know. Or we're going to see somebody says right. Baalim. Baalim sounds like Baalibayis, not like not like Uanim. Right? So we don't know what this pasuk is doing here, right? They, 
they claim, we know is that they appeal to a principle which they believe the other party will recognize as attacking, right, as, as being opposed to their behavior. We don't know what that principle is. The Gemara didn't know what that principle is until it got to this line, because the Gemara said, hey, right, right, they agreed. Um, okay. Does the Gemara recognize that this is a radical change or not? Right? That's part of our issue. Right? Is the Gemara, is it really, is it really, is it really, you know, an about face? Oh my goodness, right, really we, right, we, you know, really we thought that freedom of contract was, right, right, was absolute, and now it turns out that there are contracts that are unconscionable, or at least that are con- conscious, right, consciously, conscience problematic. Oh, great, now he says, what is this principle? Right, what, how, would we, right, is it, how would we know if another case comes up? How would we know whether to apply this principle or not if we don't understand it at all? Right, is it just a black box? Right? These are the words you say in a case where there's an employer and an agent, and the agent, of, right, and the agent says this, so we know this principle applies, but it can't do anything. There's nowhere else you can do it. There are principles like, that function like that in halacha. This all helpful distinction that you're proposing yeah. would be stronger if the kimper that they were working on was the one wa- was that they said that the going wage was four, but they made the contract for three. Excellent. Right, so we don't, right, so you, right, we have to ask the same question, right, since we changed level C of the Okimta, right, right, so now we don't know about D and E. Right, who's, right, who's responsible for their wages, and what are the, and what are, is, is the prevailing wage set or not? Right, exactly right, right, so that, that's exactly how to fill out the, right, if you were, if you were doing this really, really slowly, um, right, or, you know, right, we would put a, we would put a, a big box on the board, right, if we had a blackboard, right, with check marks, you'd try to figure out, that, right, and there'd be question marks in the box, where this Okimta intersect, right, where this Taina intersected with, with, right, with the five changes of the Okimta. What about D? We don't know. What about E? We don't know. So you have a, a fair position. Maybe this requires the work to have a specific value that is above. Okay, right, we'll see that other people will come up with other, de- other issues about the details of the Okimta. That will uh, that will bother them no end. Okay, right. So that's right where we are now. Right is the key issue we're focusing on is is the gemara right, is the gemara shifting or not? Right, or is it being consi- or is it being cons- right, is it really trying to have a consistent position? Right, we can ask the later. But what do we do if the gemara is changing its mind dramatically? Right, what is what does Torah say about conflict between freedom of contract and our and our sense of what's right? Right. And the second question is what once we have this principle, what is Ari says? What does this principle mean? Other than that, it's right, so I started saying, right, there are cases where we have uh, what I call chokification. And chokification is when there's a principle in the Gemara, and we know it applies to one case, but we say we don't understand this principle, so we can't apply it to any other cases. All right, the classic case of this is the Gemara has a principle called Afkini Rabbanon Likidushin Minahu, right, that the rabbis undo, 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 your wedding in some way retrospectively, and that's how they, right, and therefore a woman is not married. And the Gemara says this in a number of places, but the Rashba comes along and says, how on earth can they do that? Marriage happened. You can't undo marriages, you can't do, undo marriages retroactively. That's ridiculous. Um, so what he says is, but the Gemara says it. So we're only going to apply it in the cases where the Gemara says it, and you can't apply it in any new cases at all. You can't rationalize it in any way. Right, so things like that happen in right, not just in Doraisa halachos we're talking about shatnes maybe which maybe is a chok maybe isn't, but any principle in law can be chokified if you abandon hope of understanding. Right, so it could be that this is that that we're going to end up in that case like there's a principle called altimna tuv mibalav, and its meaning in halacha is that if you have 
a case where an employer hires an agent, and, the agent, and that's the only thing we can know about. We can even say it only happens if it's four and three. If it's six to five, it doesn't apply anymore. Because we don't know. Okay, so we're going to try and investigate. Yes. How does it just work contractually? Because in the first case, where the Balabai said three and then the Shleach, Shaliach said four, the contract is still binding at three. But then when they change the contract around, and then the, 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 the Balabai says four and the Shaliach says three, the Shaliach in that case is able to change the contract and it's binding at three. Whereas, so, so in one case you're changing the contract, in one case you're not changing the contract. Right, so, just, yeah. yeah, so right, actually, right, we don't, is there ever a contract when the agent changes the, right, that's, right, unlike, right, if the agent does not fulfill the wishes of the, of the, of the sender, can there be any contract at all? Right, I could say that the last case, that we need, that all these require contract, because if there's no contract, we just go back to paying whatever the work is, the work is worth. And so the last, this last case must be a case where the middleman actually said, I'm responsible. I could say that, right, as opposed to the above cases, because the government doesn't tell me. Right, so those are all the ways, right, those are right, it's exactly right, what you're all doing is doing exactly the right thing, which is saying, look, the Gemara tells me which, right, in some cases, which, what the Okimta has to be for this time to, to, to play out, and we know the five kinds of things you can put in the Okimta, and sometimes it doesn't. And so I don't know. Right, I, don't, I, don't, I, right, I don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah, that could be my failing, right? It could be that the that was obvious to the Gemara. <laughs> and I just don't know which way it is. And some of you will think it's obvious in some of these cases. And, you know, and, and that's what I was What happens if you think it's obvious and you come across an Akron who says it's not? Right, so right, how does it affect you, Halacha, or not? Okay, so what I want to do now um, is let's try and see if we can begin to answer Arya's question about what this principle is. So Rashi has this weird comment. Rashi says, Pasu Kubi Mishle. So this uh, destroys my Havamina, that anyone capable, that before, you know, everyone who read Talmud before Rashi knew, shas, knew, knew, knew Tanakh by heart. So obviously they would have known it was a Pasuk then. So why does Rashi have to say this? Right, so we can say, you know what, before Rashi, you couldn't learn Talmud, Talmud until you, unless you knew Tanakh by heart. But Rashi help, helpfully allowed the people who, did, couldn't, who didn't know Tanakh by heart to read Gemara. Um, but then you would expect Rashi to do a uh, to do like a Torah or thing, right, and, and tell you identify every pasuk. That isn't that doesn't start by saying Dichtiv, right? Because it doesn't say Dichtiv here. Dichtiv is a giveaway. It's a pasuk. Okay, so right, Rashi says pasuk of Mishnah. I don't know, we know what he's doing. So the Maram Shif says the following: The Havalelamaymar. It should have said. The Amrle Polim Al Timna, it should have just said the Polim, right, the language of Argamar is the Amrle, right, Les Lach Al Timna Tuvmi Balav, right, in Terabang, don't you hold of, right, of Al Timna Tovmi Balav? The Ranshif says that what's following Rashi is, they should have just said, the Amrle Al Timna Tovmi Balav. That's a declarative statement on its own, right? Don't, it's not, right, they, should have, they can just quote the Pasuk at him. Why do we need to frame it as Les Lach? Right? Don't you hold to this? Right? None of the other okay, uh, none of the other tainas were, fr- were framed that way. So Ram Shir says that's what bothered Rashi. Why? He says the lishon the leslach mashma keiluzu halacha lemoshe misinai. Leslach sounds like it's a principle which is so obvious and so well known. Right? That how could you possibly not believe this? 
And so then Ramshir says, so Rashi writes Pasuk eventually, so you shouldn't think it's Halacha Moshe Bissinai. It's actually just a Pasuk. That's an interesting idea, right? That Halacha Moshe Bissinai is more, is more radical than a Pasuk. Uh, right, it's more, like, more universally accepted. So maybe you know, Ram Shif read the Rambam, right? That you know, nobody's ever cholik on Halach Lomash Sinai. And if you take the Rambam really seriously, it seems to think nobody even argues about the meaning of Halach Lomash Sinai. Whereas the Pasuk is ambiguous. They can say, Altimna told me Balav, and he can say, I don't know, ex- explain to me, please, why this principle applies to our case. But if they said it as Halach Lomash Sinai, says Ram Shif, then the argument would be over. And then probably there couldn't have been a, right, the Gemara shouldn't have said Sarvah Vekavil above, because that would mean the Gemara was going against Halach Lamosh Misina. So the Ram Shev is, right, is very bothered by this line, Pasuk of Mishlei, and he says that the purpose of this line in Rashi is to get you to understand that they're actually just quoting a Pasuk, which is subject to interpretation, and not stating a principle which is universally obvious. Okay, great, that doesn't tell us what the principle is. <laughs> and we still haven't figured out how to get from the Pasuk to there. Okay, so the Chachma Shmomo, uh, this is the Maharshal, um, says the following. Uh, right, right, so some, some hold, the Kashle Larashi, Minalesh Asrilimna Tobi Balav, Mishimachi Perishu Pasaku. Right, so Rashi read the reverse thing. It's not that it's universally obvious, it's that, like, we're looking at the case and saying, what's wrong? So Rashi says, what's wrong is that there's a Pasuk that says that it's wrong. That's what Rashi is trying to do. The problem is still, but what's wrong? Why does the Pasuk apply? That assumes that it's obvious what the meaning of the Pasuk is, that, it, that the Pasuk applies to this case in some way. So he says, Vani Omer, my problem is, he says, the Kashile, Altimna Tuvmi Balav, Achi Memar, Altimna Tuvmi Polim. I think that Rashi's problem is that you look at this, right, it sounds like the principle goes the other way. So Rashi explained, no, it's a Pasuk, they have no choice, they have to quote me Balav, even though it's about Polim, because they're quoting a Pasuk. Okay, this is all really well and good, but doesn't, but doesn't, no one has given us any clue as to what the principle is, or how it applies to any case other than this one. Okay, and right, we're just like, we don't, right, it's a Pasuk, it's a Pasuk, right, either it's a Pasuk and not a Lachal Meshach Sinai, or it's a Pasuk, and therefore you have to take it seriously, otherwise it would be meaningless. Well, what does it mean? Okay, so the Pasuk actually reads as follows. Altimna told me Ba'alav, don't deny good to its owners, when you have the power to do it. Okay, so that sounds like a right a zenenim is elu chaser, right? If you're right, if you're gonna this person's gonna benefit, you're not gonna lose by doing anything, right? So why should you not cause someone else to have good? Right? That's what it sounds like. That kind of principle. Does that apply here? Not so much. <laughs> right, it's a zero sum game. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so you could try and claim that the that right, that the, because he's willing to pay for he right the employer won't really lose, right? Because in some sense he's already acknowledged that this property is not his, All right? So that that would be a right, interesting, a very right, very interesting principle um, to emerge. That's exactly what the second half of the means, right? Yeah. It's not too much skin off your back, right? You were already willing to pay this, so therefore you clearly have the ability to do it. Right, except that the Tarumit probably isn't against the guy who's actually asked to pay. It's against the it's against the agent, right? You were authorized to pay this. Right, so so there's even more so. 
there was really no skin off your back because you weren't even going to pay the extra one. It was coming out of somebody else's pocket. Okay, that's a reasonable interpretation of right of how the pasuk gets there, as a principle, right? I mean, look at look at the other principles, right? I'll tell right. Don't tell your don't tell your friend. Come back tomorrow, and I'll pay you when you actually have the money. Uh, right? Don't you know? Which you know we could claim is like you know don't don't uh, try to to gain extra float, right? You know the, the extra six six hours to on the, of interest on the on the money if he shows up, pay him. Uh, don't. Plot evil against your friend while he has faith in you. Right? Don't double. Um, and don't you know, have grudges against people and never did anything bad to you. Okay, right. So these will all be like very, very uh, pashut principles, right? Uh, you know, like there's no, you know, there's no reason to make someone else's life worse. And maybe that's all it is here, right? you know. And we think that, right? So that really, you know, so Gunfle, you know, he already said he'd pay that much. So what are you doing, negotiating more than he's willing to do? But it's hard to figure out. If he has the interest of the employer in mind and he knows that the individual will work for less, then he doesn't have a responsibility to get them for less? Yeah, so that's horrible, right? You know, but what about you? Know? Go the other way as well. Right, so maybe, right, so we have to be like, you know, won't this just be, be just depend on the language of the employer? Right. Is, is, he, is he saying, I'm willing to pay this much, you know, go get the best price you can get? Or is he saying, no, I'm willing, uh, here's how much I'm going to pay, go hire for this Right, so the principle just depends on that, then it's not a very important principle. Well, it's the question of, is there a concept of fiduciary responsibility? Right, so we're denying fiduciary responsibility to the owner, unless, of course, he tells you to. Right, so it's just, right, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's a very limited principle. When somebody, when somebody puts you in a situation where he says, you can spend money, and I have no interest in your spending less than this, if, right, right the employer would have to already recognize this principle. And you know, the employer, right, is you know that that the worker should get whatever he, whatever he's willing to give them, and then you see you're going against the employer's thing also because if the employer cares and is not willing to, right. Right, it'd be a much more radical principle. It's like you have an expense limit that you have. Yeah. Right. The employer obviously doesn't want you to spend more than you have to, but they're willing to pay if you do. How far does this go, right? I you know I had a speaking gig a couple of months ago where they offered up to thirty dollars um, per meal. So am I being monet from the restaurant I go to if I only pay if I only if I only order you know sixteen dollars worth of food and don't order dessert, right? Because maybe it's not about employers employees, right? It doesn't sound like it's, it's the principle of employers employees. So anytime somebody authorizes expenses, I should go up to the max. I think there's ambiguity in the noun, but a lot. Yeah. What, what is, is that referring to the employer or to the employee? I mean, I think it can go either way. Bible usually refers to the employer. Yeah, that's what the says in the end, right? It should have said, right? So, right, so, question is, what is the, is it really, the Pasuk isn't talking about either of them, right? The Pasuk is talking about generic people, right? So, if, if we're going from the Pasuk, we should end up with my case, right? That anytime you're authorized to spend, you know, find, find somebody who needs the money and spend it on them. I don't know if we accept it as a deeply, you know, as, as an obvious principle. Or right, yeah, maybe maybe that's why the Gemara doesn't accept it at first because why should it? What, what sort of principle is that? Okay, so we're still on right. Still, I think you know, I think that you're all right. I think Arya said it first, right? That sounds like the meaning of it, right? Right. But on the other hand, if we want to you know, turn it into more than a chok. We want it to be useful. It's not so helpful. Um, unless we want to say it's only about employers and employees, but then it's really hard to get that into the puzzle. Because I mean, you think the puzzle in the context, it seems like the. 
community is operating on this right side. The, the goat, right, going to pull something good from the person who, you know, is rightfully entitled to that good. Yeah, so rightfully entitled is right, you know, that's circular. If he's rightfully entitled, why is it just a taromit? Well, so whether that applies in this case is a, is a separate question. But if the, the Pusik says, don't deny good to the people who actually own it, so then... I mean, their timing here is, we were, in, I mean, we were entitled to it because the ball was willing to pay it. Why did you, you and you didn't have any... I understand that, right? The problem is you can't make the claim too strong, right? Because then it's more than it should be more than taromit, and the word balim, right? As you're all saying, it seems sounds like it's a really too strong. Well, I mean, it seems like we're not rejecting some of the problem entirely. Yeah, yeah, it's not like we're trying to fudge it somehow. Yeah. Okay, so let's do a couple of things just to right to to get us to the point. So the um, the daf al daf, right, which is a contemporary anthology you all know of on the um, on the Gemara, you know, it's, it's like basically the crib notes for daf, for people giving daf yomi shurim. Right here, a cool acronym. You can, you can look at on the stuff, and you can cite. You can you can tie in. Um, so what interests me. So he quotes a Medrash Shmuel, which is a commentary on on Masechet uh, Vod, But I gave it to you to show you that he thinks that that commentary, which is not on our Gemara, which is really on Mishnah Avot, he thinks it applies here. And he says, you know, sort of the radical version that the most radical version of what are you saying? I think. Uh, so let's, let's let's watch it together. So Dahl Das says the following: The Gemara says the Amri Leslach Altima Tovmi Bala. In the Medrash Shmuel, to Mishnah Avos Gimel Chet says, um, Yirtze, what it means, what it means in that Mishnah Avot, when it says, as we'll see, it says, that you and everything that is yours belongs to God. All right, so this is a commentary on that. And here's what it says. Hatov hayeter The extra good that you have. Yesh alim, it has real owners. And don't deny the real owners of the extra good of the surplus that you have. Don't deny the real, it to the real owners. Um, right, if you have extra, God gave it to you so that you can support the poor. Okay, and, they, and the poor are really the Baalim of that. Many people only came to the world only created. They're just there to be God's, God's tools and hands. For good or evil. Right? So Davil Daf says that this is what Altimna told me Balav means. Right? He quotes this Midrashmul about this. Right? Which means that the Balav means the owners. And we're going to we adapt the principle, which is that um, we, staka is mamunaniim. Right? Staka is already the property of the poor. You're just a fiduciary. But we're going to go. But it's not just staka, right? Because we're assuming this is somebody's already given all their meiser, and these are not necessarily real aniim. But nonetheless, right? Anything that you have, which is extra, however we define extra, right? And that's a whole deep philosophic question. What do you have that's extra? Right? Is it? You know, is it uh, right, you know, I don't know what's extra. Brand name. Brand, brand name things as opposed to generic things. Your fifth car, which you don't use, I don't know, right? There are lots of different ways <laughs> which you could define, you define extra. Whatever you have that's extra is already the property of whom? The property of the poor. Okay, great, but who says the employees are poor? Are we really going to limit this case to cases where the employer is 
way rich and the employees are yeah, really poor. Rich employees right. So in that case, the right in that case, the agent should reverse it. Yeah. Right. 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 So that right. So the double duff, I think, is right. right it takes the principle we all want to say to its logical extreme. Right. That really, if it's your owner. Right, really, the employees are the owners of the of whatever the employer could pay them. Because assumption, the employees are poor and the employers are rich. And the job of the employers is, right, but what if the employer says, you know what? My employees are unionized and they're making really good wages. And I have a poor cousin, I'd rather give the money to him. So it's right, what what makes right so all the poor together are the ballet, not these people. I mean, he does say Okay, but that's circular. Does God want the employees to have the work, the work job or not? Right? It's not a principle that tells me give the work unless I already know that the employees are supposed to have the money. Right? It doesn't help me any. Right? So I think. Right? So I, I think what he does is he tries really hard to put substance on this principle, but he may prove too much. Is he talking about art? He's talking about our cases. He right. That's, he he takes the the Midrash Shmuel is not. Right, so right, the Midrash Shmuel right, is, is talking about a mission in Avos, right? and he's talking about real poor and real rich, right? And what the Daf al Daf does is say, I think that's what this means. That's why I'm quoting it from him. That's why I'm not quoting the Midrash Shmuel directly. I'm quoting the Daf al Daf because he makes that sishdel. But in the context of Taramet, I mean, Taramet is something clearly. Can we assume that it's something negative? That it's something. Negative? Yeah. So then, again, if. If your material wealth is really God's material wealth, then you should use it in a way. I agree, but now what is that way? What is that way, right? I try. Maybe I'm Andrew Carnegie, right? You know, and I want to get I want to get the maximum wealth I can out of my thing, so that I can give it all away as stucco later. Why should I overpay my employees? Maybe that's their tarot. We are the Aeneans. If you're an Aeneans, right? But who says you're an Aeneans? But, you're, but you're, that isn't you're, limited to four and three. I mean, no. Are they, are they who knows? Like, who knows, right? It doesn't help you any. It's like this, right? It's an unfortunate. It's an intrusion of a, right of Musar into halacha, without enough basis for the Musar. That's my that's my claim. But yes, I mean. But the the question of whether or not you know what about the case where it's reversed and the employer is poor and we yeah um, that would that would really matter if we were using this pasuk to actually. Um, Okay, right. So we have to do this. There's a sixth principle, or a principle of the Okimta, which is that the right as Yomar doesn't mention that the employer is rich and the employees are poor. Right. So that's A. Right. That's if we're doing partial, we have to do that. And then B. Right. B. What it turns out is like a general principle that you should pay employees everything you can. That's basically our principle. Which 
can make sense because we, we saw the first mission in the seventh parak, right? Which is really, right, you should give them all Sudach Lomo, Vishaito, but you can negotiate a contract against it, right? But if you couldn't, right? But if you negotiate down to bread and water when you could afford at least a cheese sandwich, right? So when you, if you assume that they really deserve Sudach Lomo, right? So you should feel bad about it. Right? We could do that, right? We could do it that way, right? And then it's just not, you know, it's again, you know, it, and maybe that's all Taromit is, right? Maybe all Taromit is is a you know is is a, a weak moral principle that basically says that when you have any in any econo economic interaction between rich and poor the rich people shouldn't soak the poor right? they don't have to give everything to the poor it's only the extra so the moral, the moral corporate when, in, in case c the balabites are three and then the agents are four yeah really it should be every case right shouldn't yeah. it right? should be every case yeah so I, I'm I'm open to that possibility, but it, it, it would disappoint me if all right if that's if that's all that happened. The Gemara didn't quote the pasuk there, so it seems, it seems like it wouldn't apply. Reasonable argument, reasonable argument. Tough to know what the pasuk applies to at all. Right? We just like pasuk. So we just find that correctly, right? Other very balim doesn't sound right. Okay, uh, so so doesn't the fact that there's a series of ibayasimas imply that the Gemara finds all of these lacking? That's a very good question. I don't want to answer it this week. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. That's a very good question. If I answer it this week, it'll, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll take away the suspense next week. Uh, okay, I do want to finish this week. Uh, this is great. Thank you for, for pushing it. Uh, I, I, we never got back to the question of what the, of why Rashi says there's a puzzle. I just, I just wasn't satisfied with any of the answers. Right, so right, you looked at the next page. Yeah, yeah. Right, so I looked at the next page. I gave you, I gave you the, uh, uh, the twenty something is twenty six times or something that Rashi says. Rashi says pasuku, um, of which five of them are initially. If you're a Jewish historian, you could probably you know take this data and, and write a paper about what what you could reasonably expect the moderately educated class of right of Jews in northern in northern France and Germany in the in the eleventh century to know. And you're getting ready, you know, you, you know, expected to know a lot of Sukkim, but, you know, Bishle, Ezra, no, not so much. Uh, right, that's, it seems to me, right, that, if, so I could just make it clear, all right, 23 cases, it's very clear, I mean, you know what, the question wasn't a good question. Rashi says Pasuk when he thinks he wouldn't recognize the Pasuk. Right, and we could end the shir like that, right, you know, you know, and I think that would be a pretty good argument, right? 23 times. If you look at books that you're not going to find any, you know, that, that needs to prevent the halakha of Sinai, right, that would be a lot of cases where, you know, of imagined halakha of Sinai, is it, right? Not that. So I could add the shir that way, and probably it'll convince you, but it would be cheating. Uh, and also, I don't like Akronim to look, you know, to look like they're not, they're, like they just don't know their stuff. So here's the thing. This Pasuk is quoted in two other places in Shas, and Rashi doesn't say it in those places. And it's worth noting, right? This is where we'll finish. You take a look at. Maybe people learn Ovid's here first, right? And they're supposed to know it, right? That would be great. But. Does it have a similar structure, like instead of saying Zikhir or something like that in the other places? So let's take a look at the first one. Okay, that's, our, that's, all, that's where we're going to end this week. So we turn to page five. So the Gemara says the following Kiritanya. We're talking about. Um, how we know about the set of, of, of the takanos that were made, right, allegedly by Yeshua, right, 
um, right, to, that allows certain things like, right, that you're not allowed to object to people walking, uh, walk, walking on the edge of your field um, when, when, there's not, when you're not growing anything there anyway. Right, so that kind of, you're allowed to walk al-tzide drachim, you don't have to walk in the middle of the road. Okay, that, that becomes, an, uh, like I said, an important example in many places in Shas. Right, how do we know about this principle? So the Gemara is Kiritania, this follows a Brisa. Here's the Brisa. Reisha Kalupir Right, your field is no longer actively producing. And you're not allowing, but you still don't let people come in. So, top of page five. Ah, page six. Sorry, the printout didn't come out neatly. My fault. Thank you very much, Lana. Right, top of page six. Gemara Baba Kama Pay Alphabet Base. So, we have a bright there. You have nothing growing on your field that matters, and you're still not letting people walk in. What do people say about him? What does he get out of this? And what are people doing, damaging him, right? Why is he not letting them in his field? Okay, anybody know where that pasuk is from? <laughs> Answer is, it isn't the pasuk. He doesn't know. The person says, what, is, what kind of pussy is that? He just made up a pussy. That happens. Uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, Rav um, Azaria Burzan, apparently I said about his father, that he once, uh, for, as a joke, like at the end of Shir, he came and he told the Rav this great work based on a pussy and then challenged the Rav, do you know where the pussy is? And it turned out he had made it up. <laughs> Just a second. Anyways, here's the Gemara. Here's the Gemara says, right? Because, what kind of Pusik is that? The Gemara says, yeah, there's a Pusik sort of like it. And what's that Pusik? Our Pusik. So the Gemara uses it, right, as a place where somebody else somebody else claimed there was a Pusik. We said, no, that's not a Pusik. This is really a Pusik. So now, anybody who's read the Gemara of Bavakama, which originally comes before Bavakama, has got to remember this. Right, this is like a memorable moment with it, right? There's a bright though which says, right, and it turns out there's no such pasuk, there's another pasuk, and we just chose to reframe it. I have not yet found, like, you know, sometimes this is, it, you know, it turns out it's really from, you know, from Ben Sira or something like that. I have not found any other source from Yotov yet. If anybody finds one, that would be, that would be great. So, I'm not willing yet to abandon the notion that Rashi is meaningful. Because this, right, it's really odd that Rashi says pasuk eventually, right? When, right? Which right, when the Gemara of Akama goes out of his way to tell you this is a pasuk, because that isn't. So that's what I want. Right? So maybe there's still a meaning to the pasuk. And the second thing is, so now we have another case, right? You, we can't define me, right? Altimna told me Bala is a one case thing. Now we have another case. All right. So it has to be right. So, so if we want it to be a consistent principle. Right, we have to find a principle that applies to both, and there's no rich and poor here. Okay, right, this, this case seems to fit very well into the original meaning of the Pasuk. So we can say it doesn't mean the same thing in both, right? Also, okay, so we'll try and do a little bit about that next week, because remember, as I said, it shows up in two other places in Shas, so we'll have to read the case in Brachos. Really, also, the, how does this Pasuk really fit this case, right? Who, who's the ball? There's Tovi Bala. Ah, good. No Bala in there either. That the people have a right to walk in here. Yeah, why do they? Private property. Maybe not so good there either. Yeah. And I'll tip off it in Brochos. Do you know who the Bala is probably going to be? God. 
uh, right? So I got to reverse the case in Mishnah. Right? You know, really, really hard. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about Brachot. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Next, we're going to start with that. And then we're going to go into how the Rishonim answer the questions of the relations for the Okimtas. And hopefully those will combine at some point to start thinking about right, what the right what what principles we're trying to set out here. Um, yeah, that's probably optimistic for what next week would be. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you again. There's interest uh, to a Mars now. Anyone, anyone able to stay? Let me stay. Okay. I didn't know myself.